That one driven deep right field. Thank you, go. Gone for Morgan Chris. And Fitz Chamberlain. That ball. Going to the wall. Chamberlain the second for this first hit. Mounted second, going to third. For this first hit of the season. So, and the pitch. That one swung deep to left. And that one's gone! Savvy Seaman with a three-run shot. And the Warhawks take the lead. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of podcast on D-Shot. Um, today we got a uh, two-time national champ as a player, one-time national champ as an assistant coach at Whitewater, and now he adds a state championship to that um, resume. And Nick Bennett from Racine St. Cats. Nick, um, nice to see you again, and thanks for joining me. Appreciate you having me. Thanks, D-Shot. All right, so I'm going to start with your kind of your growing up um, obviously, if people don't already know this, um, you, you're from a pretty legendary coaching family in the state. Um, your dad obviously was head coach at Stevens Point. You played under him. Your uncle um, was at Point and then Green Bay as a head coach and then coached the Badgers to a Final Four. Um, what was it kind of growing up like with, with your, around your dad's program and your uncle's programs and what was the best part of it? You know, um, it's very fortunate to grow up around coaches. Uh, it's very near and dear to our heart, obviously. But I always say it was more important that I grew up around quality people. Um, not only do I think they coach the game the right way, I think they live the right way. And uh, that was really invaluable, seeing that as a young age and just be exposed to uh, people that care about the game and people care about uh, raising men of character. And uh, my dad and my uncle have obviously embodied that for a long, long time and for People like you or young guys like you who do some history uh, know that. And for people that are from a little past generations, they know that as well. So it's been uh, it's been invaluable to be around them. And it's been a, a blessing to learn so much from them. Um, the other side of that is um, I have no idea what your cousin Kathy is doing coaching wise these days. Specifically, Tony's at Virginia. Um, how much with your coaching career do you um, bounce stuff off of um, the coaches in your family and um, how much do they give advice to your teams? Yeah, so Kathy is out of coaching. Um, she's been doing like team sales, like apparel sales. Um, uh, she's been doing that for a couple of years and she's really enjoying it. Obviously, she had a heck of a career. She won a national championship as a coach at UW Oshkosh. Uh, she had success at Evansville in Indiana. Uh, Northern Illinois. So she was a heck of a coach in her own right. So um, uh, obviously, Tony, he's been a great resource as well. He's obviously the one that's kind of in the nose in the uh, in the news now. Um, and he's the guy that really knows what's going on for now. Um, apologizes my two year old. I told you she was going to come charging in here. So I apologize for the background noise. Um, but for for me, you know, having Tony to do you shot. Do you want to pause here? Yeah. I'm sorry. Best guest of all time yet, D-Shot? No, you're good. I apologize. Sorry, what, 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 what's, do you want to start over if we need to go over something again, please? I, I, um, I put her just, in the bedroom so she should be good for a little bit. Okay, Um, we can just kind of continue with that question. Obviously, Tony's at Virginia. Kathy's kind of out of coaching. How, obviously, how much have you um, bounced stuff off your uh, coaching family? 
you know, I don't know how much I'm, I'm giving to Tony. We talk about hoops a lot, but uh, I steal ideas. I, I steal uh, thoughts about program development a lot from him. Um, it's just messaging with him yesterday um, about a couple of things. So he's a guy, um, he leads by example. He, he leads by the life he lives. Uh, obviously he's a heck of a coach and people are gonna know that, but um, I always get asked really behind the scenes, is he really that, like that behind the scenes? Is he really that nice a guy? He, he is. That's just kind of who Tony is. He's a genuine guy. Uh, he's very humble. He's very down to earth. Uh, and he just cares a lot about people. So um, I kind of say, I know it kind of almost seems, is that really what he's like? Is he just putting out a persona for the TV? It's not. It's just kind of who he is. The one thing I always tell people about him, he's very funny. Um, that's maybe the one thing people don't see uh, with him on the TV. He, he's a very funny guy. He's very sharp-witted. Um, he's always been a good big cousin to me. He's always been personable and you know, for me growing up, you know, he was my idol. Uh, I, I remember him when I was just in middle school and he was playing in the NBA. He played with um, Larry Johnson, Alonzo Mourning, Muggsy Bogues for the Charlotte Hornets for three years. Uh, I can think back going over to Brown County Arena and watching him play at Green Bay. So for me, you know, um, he grew up being my favorite basketball player. He grew up the guy I kind of idolized. So uh, to see a guy that you grew up idolizing, but then you get to know him later on in your life and see that he's a great person uh, he cares about doing it the right way. Uh, it's really been an invaluable experience for me. Uh, I put this question in there because I'm curious about it. Um, between you and Tony, who would win in one-on-one? -on -one? <laughs> well, Tony's had about eight knee surgeries um, and he's older. But uh, if you're talking in your prime, I would have no chance of keeping up with Tony. Uh, if we're talking in your prime, he, he was much quicker than I ever could dream of being. Uh, uh, much better ball handler, um, shooting wise, uh, as good as shooters. I think I am. It's pretty hard to say I, I, I'm a better shooter than the guy who still is the greatest three point shooter in NCAA history. So I think it'd be pretty arrogant to say I'm a better shooter than he is. Tony still is the all time three point percentage leader in NCAA history. So, um, if we're talking in primes, if I could get, if we're playing to 21, if I can get a few buckets on him, I'd be pretty proud of myself, but, uh, um, that's comparing myself to an NBA guy, which I never was. Do I dare say two on two with maybe you and Jack versus Dick and Tony? Oh gosh, I don't know if anyone would want to see my dad and my uncle get out there. There'd definitely be some hips blown out. There'd definitely be some arguments. Um, so I don't know if anyone wants. Or to like back in the day sort of thing. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm sure those guys got into it. There's an age gap. My uncle Dick is, um, I believe, seven or eight years older than my dad. So there's a little bit of an age gap where. I know they're two, they're, they're close. You know, those two are best friends. They talk every day, they golf, uh, they live close to one another now, but um, there's a little bit of an age gap. So for example, I always say, yeah, think about my uncle Dick was 18 uh, graduating high school. I think my dad was about 10 years old. So how much is an 18 year old really hanging out with his 10 year old brother? Probably not a lot, but obviously they're very close. Um, similar personalities, uh, obviously both really good coaches uh, and both really good men behind the scenes. So, um, I know I would not pay I would not pay any money to see those two play one on one. That would be that'd be an ugly game of basketball, but you can definitely catch those guys on the golf course. Okay. Um, I was talking about your dad. Um, what was it like being on two national championship teams um, that were coached by your dad? And I, I'm guaranteeing we're going to talk about one of the moments. Um, but um, what was your favorite moment from it? uh you know it, it, it's a blessing anyone who's been able to 
finish the season on a win, uh, winning a title, it's, it's truly it's something that you'll remember. Uh, uh, I don't want to say it means more anymore. It doesn't. It, it still feels great. I'm still very proud of our accomplishments. But um, you just look back on it and really fond memories. And I'm really fortunate that I'm one of the guys that wanted our seniors. So you get to say, yeah, our career ended on a really high note. Rather than, I know so many people, unfortunately, that talk about that last game. And, oh, I can't believe the play didn't go this way for us. So very fortunate that our junior and senior seasons ended that way. Um, uh, and, you know, doing it with my dad as a head coach, you know, it only made it better. I, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say so. In the moment, I probably didn't appreciate it enough. Uh, in the moment, I probably wasn't thankful enough for it. Um, but now that is probably the one thing that has changed that, yeah, I got to win two national titles as a player and got to make great friends along the way. But I also got to do it with my father, who is my best friend. So for me to uh, do that, to do that with someone who uh, I obviously have a genuine, uh, unconditional love for and for someone that's always been there for me. Um, it's something I'm always going to be really thankful I got to experience. How much kind of looking back at it that um, obviously it was kind of like your dad kind of got that program back on track um, sort of thing and looking back at those titles? Yeah, uh, it, that's, a, that's the fun thing about college. Um, if you do high school right, I'd like to think is that it is a program. It's more than just uh, putting together a team and just trying to live out a season. It's, it's a program. So I look at it. Uh, I still play, like, for example, I'm still playing fantasy football with those guys from my dad's first point teams, guys that I didn't play with, but I'm still friends with because there's just a connection and they came to alumni games and they cheered us on and they messaged us after we had big wins. So if you're going to do it right, and if you're going to do it the right way, that's a big factor in it is uh, you create people that feel invested in it. I think my dad did a good job of that, of making guys feel included, uh, feeling guys, uh, having guys feel like they're important to the program and to its development. And uh, you have them feel like they're more than just wins and losses. You have them feel like they're more than just did they make shots or not. It's, it's a program and it's about uh, everyone buying in and everyone doing their part. And, uh, you know, the guys that were before me, the guys around my dad's, uh, uh, my dad got the point job my freshman year of high school. So there was four years before I got there. So for those guys that I never played with, you know, I still know those guys. They're still friends. Um, and that's what great programs do is you, you get people to buy in more than are you playing with them or not. It's more of a connection with, yeah, you were a pointer. Uh, I know you, we can, we have a connection that way and we can talk about it. And uh, like I said, they can still kick my butt in fantasy football. I'm a, I'm an absolute brutal, brutal manager of that, but uh, we have some good bragging rights with uh, talking about the good old days. Was it, um, did your dad take over right after your uncle or was there? A no, there was a, there was a coach. Bob Parker was in between who was a really okay. good coach in his own right. Did a really good job. Um, I used to go to his basketball camps when I was a middle schooler. So I, I got to know him, his assistant, the, 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 the connection with that is his assistant, Bob Parker's connection was uh, his assistant was Bob Semling, who is obviously still the head coach at Stevens point and Bob Semling uh, got his start in coaching. He was my dad's high school assistant when my dad was the head coach at Wisconsin Rapids. So my dad has known Bob Semling, uh, the, the current head coach at Stevens Point, uh, since he was like 16. They worked a camp together when my dad was first coaching. So they've been really close. He hired, my dad hired Coach Semling uh, when he got the Wisconsin Rapids job. Then Coach Semling went on to co uh, college at Stevens Point. Then he went to Green Bay. Then he went down to New Mexico for a year or two. And then when my dad, 
uh, when Kenny Cable left, who was the old lacrosse head coach, that was my dad's first assistant. When Coach Cable got the uh, lacrosse job, Coach Semling uh, came back and kind of took over his old job that he had had probably 10 or 12 years ago. And obviously he's had tremendous success and uh, won a couple of national titles as well. So it's kind of the, the full circle, if you will, if it made sense to anyone out there. Um, let's kind of talk about kind of the division one assistant jobs you've had, Texas Pan Am. Um, was it Marquette? Was there another one? Uh, Florida, Florida, Gulf, Florida yeah. Gulf Coast. Yeah. Where, uh, Tim Yance's is a college band director now. Um, yeah, just kind of talk about what you learned at the division one level. And is like, what did you, what do you think the comparisons are between division one and division three hoops? Yeah, there's an old adage, and I know my dad probably didn't coin the phrase, but it's always meant something to me. It's um, greatness knows no level. And uh, if you're only coaching because you're a high school coach or a middle school coach or an AAU coach or high school or low major, or high major, a pro, and if you're only sitting there saying, uh, if I get to the next level, then I'll work harder. Or if I get to the next spot, that'll be when I really take off. You have to try to be great at wherever you're at, um, and you have to try to pick up tendencies are good uh, things along the way from whoever you're working for. So I'm thankful for every boss I've worked for, every stop along the way. I've made connections. I've made um, uh, friendships. I've made memories. Uh, you've had good moments. You've had bad moments on and off the court. But the important thing is you learn along the way. You learn what works. You learn what uh, you think might be successful in the future. Um, and yeah, uh, if there's anything, you know, when I first got my, I, I was a grad assistant at Marquette. I was not a full-time assistant at Marquette. That was when Coach Crean was there. Um, and I, I, I freely say that was like kind of getting your PhD in coaching in a year. I just learned so much about how, what it takes to run a program, uh, about recruitment, um, about player development, um, about academic support. You just kind of learn all these different things along the way. And that was an invaluable year. Then when I went to Florida Gulf Coast, um, it was tricky because we were, a brand new division one program. No one knew about us. Now everyone knows about us. And um, uh, so we were just trying to get some notoriety, just kind of put our name on the map a little bit. Um, and I'm really thankful for that experience. I got to recruit geographically a different area. And then I went to Texas Pan America and it's now called Texas Rio Grande Valley. Um, again, it was just another geographic change. You recruit a different area, learned from a really good guy, a guy named Ryan Marks, just a tremendous human being, a really good coach. Um, um, then obviously coming back to Whitewater, uh, you know, winning a national title the first year back, and we had a bunch of success the next year as well, and learning a lot from uh, Pat Miller. So it, my point is, every stop along the way, you're gonna you're gonna learn, you're gonna grow, you're gonna make mistakes. I've made plenty, but uh, uh, you try to do the right thing and you try to make better decisions going forward. And I'm thankful for every boss I've worked for, um, and I'm thankful for every situation I've fallen into. Uh, let's kind of hit up on that 2014 national title. Um, and I'll ask for a comparison in this as well. Um, what was it like being on that staff? And I think one of the, the big moments from that year is that you were three, and know, as an, uh, an acting head coach when Pat had his cervical spine surgery. Um, how much do you kind of look back at those, that those three wins, especially that, uh, I don't want to look back on it because I have the DVD of that game and, um, I know the rumor about um, how Pat had to mute the game because I was going a little bit nuts as a color commentator, but um, I haven't heard that portion of it. So. I think I've heard that from some people that I guess he was trying to text you guys and he had the game on and I was going like, you got to be kidding me, Q or my homeboy from Kenosha or a bunch, 
bunch of that. Um, I've said I interviewed your dad during that game. So um, just what, what do you look back from those? I guess we'll start with those three games because obviously beating point in your alma mater as an acting head coach. Um, how do you look back at that? It was really kind of just a whirlwind. Um, I remember Pat, when he said he, he was going to need surgery, he said, I don't really get to pick the date. Um, they said, it's kind of when they tell me the surgery is going to be, that's when I'm surgery. I don't really get to say, I want it this time. I want it after the season. I need it. He didn't really get to say it was a specialist surgery and it was a serious uh, surgery. So, uh, Pat was just kind of told, this is your date, whenever it is go forward. And lo and behold, yeah, I think it was a day or two before the Stevens point game. I want to say it was just like a day or two before. And he was really laid up there for about a week or two. Um, and they were ranked what number one in the country undefeated. And weird. We I, were seven, right? I, I tried not to make a big deal about it with me being from Point or whatnot, or me knowing Coach Semling literally since the day I was born. But the the big story for me was they were undefeated and number one in the country at the time. So I'm going, my first ever head coaching game is going to be against the undefeated number one team in the country, who just also happens to be my alma mater, who are the head coach. Uh, happens to almost be like an uncle to me. I've literally known him since the day I was born. So there was a lot of side stories going on to it. But honestly, the things I remember was how focused our guys were uh, that week leading up to practice. And I was truly nervous about that because uh, when Pat was gone and I had to start running the practices, um, I was truly nervous. Are these guys gonna? Are these guys gonna focus in on me? Are they gonna kind of tune me out? Are they gonna say, well, if Pat's not here, we can kind of do what we want? And those guys really just banded together, saying, hey, with Coach Miller gone what's play inspired for him. And uh, that was really the storyline going into it. Q and Merg and Bryson and uh, Reggie and, you know, Cody and all the, all the rest of the guys, they just really banded together and said, we, we got to make this our own. We got to come together even more with coach Miller out. Um, and obviously uh, we came away with a really big win. So that was the thing I remember from it was that those guys really banded together that whole week and just kind of said, let's, let's go out here and play our best brand of basketball and hopefully that's good enough and uh on that evening it happened to be felt like it might have been one of the biggest crowds that the catchel gyms that really had in years it was a great crowd they were they were definitely uh i mean it was an overtime game so we needed every possession and they definitely helped out in a few of those really big moments um which you need that's the reason why home crowds matter um um, and they definitely gave us uh, some energy that uh, that night when Point made a really big run. We got up in the first half and then Point made a big run uh, and took a lead. And our guys and the crowd just kind of brought us back. So it was a really fun night. But looking back on it, I would be lying to you if I said I wasn't uh, quite nervous and uh, uh, had a few jitters going into it. But uh, I'm real thankful that the Whitewater kids pulled that one out. We kind of talk about that run a little bit because obviously – um, I think that first weekend Whitewater hosted, but then you guys had to go to Stevens Point and Stevens Point got nipped by Emery in overtime. I've never asked this to anybody, but what was it like from a Whitewater standpoint to cut down the the nets to go to the final four in point? Um, I'm sure there was it was kind of sweet for our kids. It was weird because we didn't play point, so it was a little bit different. Uh Again, I'd be lying to you if we didn't anticipate that we were going to see them in the Elite Eight. Um, Emory was a really good team. Don't get me wrong. They won it. I believe it, was a, it might have been an overtime or a double overtime game they beat point. Uh, we sat there and watched it. And uh, the longer the game went, you could just feel kind of an uneasiness in the crowd going, oh, no, because point was loaded that year. Um, 
And the game, the longer Emory held it along and they made some really big shots down the stretch, we went, oh my, we might be playing Emory. So uh, the mood quickly uh, switched when, when Point was upset that night where we said, geez, we were kind of game planning that we were going to have Point. Uh, that would have been our fourth time playing them that year. Suddenly, man, we have to play a new different team, Emory, who was very good. So um, um, again, our guys did a really good job on the fly of playing an outside opponent. Um, we were lucky Emory was a little tired that night because like I said, they, they beat Point in a very emotional, uh, I think it was a double overtime. Pardon me if I'm wrong about that game the night before. So they were a little, uh, their legs were a little uh, tired. And if you watch the second half of that game, we just wore them down. We just kind of used our speed. We used our uh, pressure defense and the kids did a great job on, on that game. So uh, it was a really fun game. Um, um, upsets happen. That's part of the tournament. That's part of the story of a season. And uh, um, that group just really came together. And they, the best thing they did was they played their best basketball uh, in the tournament. Um, we talked about the rest of the tournament, obviously the national championship game. It was really neat to kind of look back at now, um, considering Duncan Robinson had the miss. And now he's in the NBA. Um, but let's go with the com comparison first. Um, Jason Kelso's game winner for point or Cordell Young's game winner in the 2014 title game. And what, what, how much, what do you think about that moment when Cordell um, had the coast to coast layup now? Yeah, it's a strange thing. Both, both, uh, both of those games were against Williams and uh, I was there obviously a part of both of them. So for the people that don't know, Jason Kelso, our junior year, we beat Williams on a buzzer beater. Uh, my teammate, Jason Kelso, national player of the year, the best teammate I ever played with, um, hit a fadeaway jumper uh, with 0.2 seconds remaining that beat them uh, by two. So that score was tied uh, in Q when he went coast to coast. Am I right, B-Shot? We were down by one. Um, the possession before... They, they tipped in and that went up. Mayor by. tipped in Duncan Robinson, who's now in the NBA with the Heat, missed a shot, and then Mayor tipped it in, and then yeah. the rest is history. Put him up by one though, correct? Yep, yep. And then Q okay. went and got yeah, the end so one. I would say if you really want to get technical, that's the big difference. We were tied, so if Kelso would have missed that, we still have a chance in overtime. Where if Q misses that, uh, that's it. So I don't want to say. One felt better. They're both spur of the moment. They're both butter beaters. They're both probably two of the most memorable plays I was a part of. Um, and I'm very, very happy that both kids were, uh, guys were able to make both of them. So we were on the right end uh, uh, of it. So um, Q's what, was- What's the outlook? Player. What's the outlook on that now that Duncan Robinson's now in the NBA? Yeah, it's just a side story. I mean, I, I, you could see how good he was back then. I'd be lying to you if I said he was going to be a, a starter in the NBA finals. I mean, that's hard to predict at the division three level, but you could see, honestly, um, you could just see, cause he was a freshman that year and you could just kind of see like, how is this kid? If he stays division three, you're going, this kid's going to be, have every record in the book. If he stays here, he was just such a talented, he was really smooth. Uh, he was a good shooter, but his game was different when he was a division three player. He didn't just run around and only shoot at threes like he kind of does now. Um, obviously, you're talking about him going against the greatest athletes in the world now, but uh, he had a much more complete game when we played him. Like he was good off the bounce. Uh, he would post up. Uh, he was a good slasher. Um, so at division three, he was really a handful because he could kind of do everything. And now he's developed into, quite honestly, one of the best shooters on the planet. So uh, it's a neat side story to look and Yeah, I, I won't lie. Every time we, I kind of catch a game and see him play, it does bring back a fond memory. You go, man, 
there's a guy who made it and we got to compete against him when we came out on the right end of it. So uh, it's a neat thought when you see the heat play, at least for us, I'm sure guys like Q and Merg and Bryson and Cody and all those guys probably do the same thing. And it's just kind of neat to think about. We competed against them and uh, we were fortunate enough to come away with the win. What were you going to, I know I jumped, kind of jumped on you. What were you going to say about Q? When his shot? Yeah. Oh, uh, um, the difference with his buzzer beater and Kelso is just going to compare. Like we set up a set play. Uh, it was just a high, low ball screen look when Kelso hit his. So we had time to kind of walk the ball down. Um, we wanted to take the last shot. So we had time to say like, this is what we want. This is what we're going to run. And we're cute. There was no time. There was just no time. And they just quickly got the ball out. Um, we quickly sped it up the court and uh, we just had to go. So there was no uh, thinking about it. And if there's any credit in the national title game with Whitewater, it, it does deserve to go to KJ. Um, yes, Q made the play. Yes, Q had to go down. KJ got the ball out of the net and into his hands really quick. And we had always coached, uh, Pat Miller had always told him that, like, in that situation, I don't want to call timeout. We just want to get the ball. We want to go and we want to see if we can attack the rim because the tendency is when you go up by a bucket or anything like that is to kind of celebrate a little bit. And, and uh, Williams didn't do a bad job, but you could see that they, they felt that excitement, like we're going to win. And KJ is the unsung hero on that play. He just got the ball to the net quickly, quickly got it to Q and just said, make a play. And uh, obviously Q did, uh, did that. So uh, um Give credit to the kids. They did not panic. They did not hang their heads. When they made that shot, they said, we got to go quick, make a play. And they did that. I think from me being there as a fan, I was just kind of like, just get something, just get something. I know a year before that, Mary Merck hit two buzzer beaters and you're, they had three minutes for a comeback. And you're just like, just get something. Um, it's kind of neat now to kind of maybe kind of brag about Q's game winner with the Duncan Robinson, Robinson yeah. thing. Um, my other thing, because you were talking about Kelso, um, back in the day with, the, with playing, the, wait, was that 70s show still a thing then? And did you guys ever kind of make any allusions to that? I don't, I don't. Kelso, Jason is definitely not as good looking as Ashton Kutcher, if that's what you're <laughs> referring to. Yeah. But uh, I think the show was pretty popular back then, maybe a little before in that era. Um, we called him Kelso because that was his last name, but yeah, there's the, there's the connection, but Jason is definitely not as good looking, but, uh, he is a very funny guy and one of my dear friends. So I say that with, uh, with all love in my heart. One of the things that randomly just stuck in my head, did that coach that you guys went up against in, in uh, the 14 title, is he still a division one coach? Mike Maker, um, he went to Marist a year or two after he did get let go a couple of years ago. Uh, he assisted at St. John's, I believe, this last year. Okay. His wife, I believe, is like, a, I want to say she's like the head cross country or track coach over there somewhere in Minnesota. So he lives in Minnesota. Um, and then uh, the year that we beat him in 2004, when Kelso hit the game winner, um, that was Dave Paulson, who's a Wisconsin guy. He's from Wausau, Wisconsin. Um, and he has been the head coach at George Mason. He uh, just got let go, I think, yesterday or two days ago as well. And he was a heck of a coach as well. So, yeah, both of those coaches. I don't want to get into the territory. East Coast, if you do really well in Division Three, there is more chances to move up to become Division One head coaches. There's just more Division One schools where here in the Midwest. Um, unless, you're, to... unless you're Bo Ryan or Lance Leipold. Yeah, I mean, well, what Lance did, I mean, 
sooner or later, someone had to. Uh, I mean, sooner or later, someone's got to go. He, he keeps winning national titles every year. I mean, that was just like, someone's got to wise up and give this guy an opportunity. And he's obviously doing a great job at Buffalo. Um, you know, with Bo Ryan and my uncle did the same thing when he was at Stevens Point, it's, it's becoming less of the norm. And I will say, uh, I don't think for the better. Um, I, 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 I little, get a little tired of seeing the recycling of coaches and then they complain about the guy who, who's there where, geez, give some of these guys at a lower level maybe an opportunity who maybe can move on and do a great job because, man, they keep winning. Maybe, maybe they know what they're doing a little bit. Um, so a little bit of this, um, oh, they're division three. It's, it's different at this level. It goes back to my adage, greatness knows no level. Um, Bo Ryan was a great coach at Platteville, great coach at Milwaukee, great coach at Wisconsin. My uncle was a great coach at Stevens Point in his high school days and at Green Bay, at Wisconsin and at Washington State. Um, and just like I think guys like Lance uh, Leipold, if you want to talk about, if you want to talk about Bob Semling, if you want to talk about Pat Miller, they've been great uh, for a really long time. Geez, I think sooner or later, someone maybe should have given them an opportunity because they're obviously doing something right. Um, I guess we'll touch on the bracket a little bit. Who do you got in the, in the final four this year? Um, I felt a little biased because I had the, I, my, one of my two of the teams in my final four kind of whitewater-ish connections with your con cousin Tony and uh, Nate Oates at Alabama. Um, so where's, what's your bracket looking like? Gosh, I'm, this is the, I, I don't, I, this is the least I've looked at a bracket in a long time because our team was still playing late, but uh, um, I think it would be hard to pick against Gonzaga. I do. I know that's the obvious pick, but um, I try to watch enough basketball. It doesn't mean I'm going to predict right. In fact, I'm a terrible predictor of brackets. Um, but I, I think it would be hard to go against them. I think this is their year for two main reasons. One, they are good enough defensively. They're not great. I don't think they're an elite defensive team, but they're really good this year. And uh, now on the flip side, that offense is, it, 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 it is an elite offensive team. They can score fast. They can score from the three-point line. They've got post play. They got guys who can break you down off the bounce. They pass the ball well. I mean, that is just a team that can chop you up about every which way. So I'm not saying they can't get upset, but I truly do think if someone's going to get Gonzaga, it will be just that an upset. Um, I do think they are the favorite. Um, and man, they trying to game plan uh, to stop that offense. That is, that is a tough task. Might as well, so you're we were talking about guys like Bo Ryan and obviously Pat and whatnot. And might as well throw Nate Oates in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Coach Oates, I, I've never met. I don't know him well. I know he was at Whitewater, I think for a year or two. So he's got some connections to the area. Um, but I know he's done a heck of a job at Alabama. So um to do that at a predominantly football school and bring some notoriety to the basketball program. He's obviously done a heck of a job. I know Pat's going to try to help me get him on at some point. Um, let's get to the St. Cats thing. Obviously, um, what was it like kind of, obviously Bob Letch was kind of a legendary um, basketball coach in the state. What was it like kind of just taking over for him when you took over, took that job? Yeah. Um, so before me, I think it was in the past 70 years, there'd only been two basketball coaches. It was coach McGuire. Um, John McGuire had been the coach there for a long time. He was actually Bob Letch's high school coach. Let coach Letch went to high school there as well. Then coach Letch assisted him and then coach Letch took over. And part of me, I'm going to screw up the years. Coach Letch was there for, I think over 40 years as the head coach. Pardon me if I'm wrong by a year or two there, 
Um, um, so to take over for two, um, when I say true legends of high school basketball, that's absolutely what those two are. Um, I was probably a little naive and quite honestly, it was probably good that I was naive when I took over for him and I wasn't a Racine guy. So I knew how good St. Cats was. Um, I knew about the strong tradition, but I wasn't quite as immersed as many down there. So I'm in respects, it was probably good that an outsider, whether it was me or someone else came in, because um, there was just such, you know, this is how coach McGuire does it. This is how coach that Letch has done it. This is how you should do it too. And uh, I know at first it was probably different for the kids where, you know, we ran practice a little different. Um, we did things a little bit different. It was a different voice, but uh, sooner or later, you know, uh, things started to feel better where kids were like, okay, uh, what's, Let's give this new guy a try. Let's see how it can go. So um, I'm very thankful for our tuition. We have uh, tons of great alumni who have played professionally. Um, we've gone on great college careers who come back and practice with our guys and talk to our guys and help our guys. So just like when I talk about good college programs, uh, St. Cats has that in the boys basketball program where we have alumni who care about them. And uh, uh, it means a lot to, to obviously me, but more importantly to the kids. But uh, um, Coach Letch still comes around. He was at... Uh, a few of our games this year. He's a good man. I taught his grandkids who still go to the school. He's got a wonderful family. Um, um, he's always going to be, you know, Mr. Racine. He's always going to be Mr. St. Katz. And I've never, ever tried to take over that. I've never, ever shied away from that. I'm, I'm honored that I get to follow him. But at the same time, I hope that uh, these kids know we were trying to put our own mark on the, on the program. And, uh, show that we can play good basketball, maybe slightly different, but we definitely try to take away tendencies and ideas that he did along the way. Um, do you ever kind of make your own stamp on it and take some Steve, Stevens Point stuff and throw it in at St. Cat's or? Yeah, uh, honestly, I, anytime I get asked like, what's your basketball philosophy? Are you just like Tony? No, I'm not just like Tony, but I, I have pieces of Tony. Well, you must just be like Pat Miller because you're, you, well, no, I'm not just like Pat Miller, but I have pieces of what Pat does. Um, are you just like your dad? Well, no, but I, I have a lot of what he does. My point with that is you pick up things along the way that you like, that you think work, whether it's a drill, whether it's a term, whether it's a play, whether it's a defensive tendency, whether it's how you manage timeouts and huddles, you pick up things along the way from everyone and you say, man, I really like that. I think it worked. And it's not to knock any coaches, but sometimes you see things and say, you know, I don't know if I would have done it exactly that way in that situation. Maybe they disagree with me. Like I said, I've worked for great coaches. Sometimes you say, that's not exactly how I would have handled that. So maybe I'll make note if I ever come along that way, I'd do it differently. Um, so my point is I'm a piece of every guy that I've worked for. I'm a piece of every coach who has taken the time to talk to me. Um, I'm a piece of Obviously my dad, probably the biggest chunk, you know, uh, he's the biggest influence in my life and obviously my coaching profession, but uh, you pick things up along the way and through all that, that's, that's what comes to be your philosophy and your ideals of how to run a program. So, you know, if someone followed me around for a week, which I don't want anyone to do, I, I like to uh, stick to myself. I'm sure there'd be times that you'd say, man, that kind of sounds like uh, your dad right there. And they probably would hear me later and say, hmm, that kind of sounds like Tony or your uncle Dick, or, you know, that sounds like coach Crean or a drill that he did, or that sounds like Pat Miller. That's something that, that he would do, or that's kind of what, what coach Semley would do or coach Martin. So my point is, I'm sure you'd come around and say that kind of looks like a little bit of all of them. And I take that as a badge of honor um, that yes, I, I I'm going to try to pick up things along the way and along that uh, journey, hopefully, hopefully I can form something that works and uh, is successful for our kids.
How much has it added to being at St. Cats as the head coach? Kind of have some former Whitewater players on your staff, especially Clay's on your staff there and Pat Suter's on your staff there. You had AJ um, helping out at the beginning. Um, just kind of talk about that before we kind of talk about um, the last two seasons. Guys have been great. I can talk about Coach Suter is obviously a St. Cat's graduate as well. So he's well known, you know, when he comes there, you know, he still knows all the teachers. Um, his son's going to be a freshman there next year. Um, so he's heavily invested in the program. He's obviously a really hard worker. Uh, Clay played at the conference rival. He played at Racine Luthen, one of our big rivals. Um, and he's obviously invaluable as well. He's got a great basketball mind and really cares about the game. Yeah, and guys like AJ, who still come around, who was at our state title game this year, uh, who I still wear his finished bracelet. Go read his book if you guys haven't. You'll, you'll, you'll be inspired. So go pick that up if you guys haven't. Um, so for me to have familiarity with me and help me along the way, I'm, I'm grateful for all those guys. I have a fantastic staff. Uh, one of the hardest things to explain to people, and I always say head coaches probably get too much of the credit when things go well. We probably get too much of the blame when things don't. That's how it goes. That's part of what I always say when you want to get into that chair, when you want to move over one seat into that chair, that's part of how it goes. And yeah, we've been doing okay the past few years. So people probably think I'm a little bit better than I am. And when things weren't going well, people probably thought I was a little worse than what I am. And the truth is, um, I think we've made a lot of headway and started to pick the pieces up because I've got a great staff who knows me, who trusts me. And uh, they make me better every day. They help me in our practices and our games and our offseason preparation. And uh, there's no doubt that um, being a head coach, it's a, it's a great opportunity. I love what I do. I, this game of basketball has given me a lot. So I'm thankful that I have a chance to give back in any capacity. But uh, um, the behind the scenes people are really what make it go. And uh, I, I wish people really understood that, how, how hard assistants work and how much they give to the kids, whether it's driving them around, whether it's doing the laundry, whether it's picking up food, whether it's helping out on, on driving through snowstorms to get to game. It's, they do so many things behind the scenes. And uh, I've got just, honestly, I have a great staff that, that makes me better every day. Uh, let's talk about the last two seasons because um, last year we, you guys had like a 28-0 record um, and you guys would have, had a little bit of a state run, but obviously we had that pandemic shutdown. Um, what a pandemic! I haven't heard about that. These shut. There was a pandemic. Okay, um, but obviously, what did it mean this year to get the state championship after kind of having the season get cut short last year due to everything? I didn't. I didn't know this was such a serious podcast. I didn't. I didn't know you. You've gotten really mature in your in your older <laughs> age now, D shot, but uh. No, um, the past two years, um, it's weird to explain. I can explain it now. I couldn't really explain it to people in the moment. Honestly, I always say it's kind of like a two-part movie for us. Um, last year was part one, and this season has been kind of part two. It kind of really felt like two seasons were pushed together because we were 25-0 and 0 last year. And obviously, like, you, uh, like everyone knows, it just got cut off the game before state. Um, we had just won our sectional final game, and we were feeling really good. Our sectional final had our sectional had the number one, two, and three team in state in it. And I think the uh, number six team in the state in it as well. So we had just won our sectional. We were feeling really good. By no means am I saying we were going to win it. We still had to go out there and win more games. So I'm not saying we would have won it. All I'm saying is 
we felt very good going forward. We felt like we had already overcome a pretty big obstacle when in our sectional. And I felt we were playing some pretty good basketball uh, late in the year. And then when that call came that the season was done, uh, that was the toughest, that was probably the toughest meeting, the toughest moment in my coaching career is having to tell those four seniors, your, your career is over. Um, nothing that you guys did, you didn't get in trouble. Um, nothing that we can do anything about. It's just, it's over. And they had to leave on such a what if moment. And I always said, that's always going to be a piece of their story, the what if. Um, I was really thankful three of those four seniors were at our sectional game this year. One of them, Elijah Lambert, could not. Uh, he plays college basketball in North Dakota. But all three other seniors came there, and they were in the stands cheering us on. And uh, like I said, when you're building a program, that's the stuff that matters, that those kids were going to swallow their pride, and they wanted to be there and support us. Um, so for those four seniors, um, there's always going to be a piece of me that feels awful for them. I can't imagine how 17-year-old me would have handled that um, if they would have said your career is over because of something like that. So um, that's a part of their story. Now to bring it to this year, the group coming back, and we did have a good group coming back. We lost a couple of key, key pieces, but we had a, quite a few guys coming back. Um, we had to just turn it around and we kind of did have the bullseye on our back a little bit. People were treating us like we won state the year before, but I can promise you, none of us felt like we did. There was no one in our locker room in our program that felt, oh, we're, 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 we're protecting. We won it last year. We all felt we didn't win anything. We got to take, we didn't even get the opportunity. The one question I got asked the most, would you have rather ended the season on a loss? And here it is a year later, and I can honestly say, yeah. It just kind of would have felt more finalized. You know, someone beat you that night. But to finish the season undefeated and just kind of end it, that was really tough. So for this guys this year, and the weird thing about our story this year is uh, we were 28 and one, um, um, but all 29 games were on the road. We didn't get a gym this year. Our gym was not uh, used. The city of Racine put an ordinance out where no games or practices. So we had to practice in about a 60 foot court orphanage, old orphanage. Uh, it's called the Taylor complex right outside of Racine. So we just had to overcome a couple things right away. I'm not making excuses. That's just a piece of our story. That's what we had to do. We had to play every conference team twice on the road this year. We had to play every non-conference game on the road this year. So just to add to what was to build up. Yeah, we had extra challenges from that. Um, our best player, Tyrese Hunter got hurt in the middle of the year. He missed six or seven games. Um, he never came back. He was never healthy, but he just gutted out the last like two weeks of the season for us. But, um, you know, it's just a neat thing that our story obviously ended on a really high note. But uh, um, to go 53 and one in two years and play every game on the road the second year, it's pretty neat what those kids did. Um, they, they, one of my favorite stories that I've told uh, some other people and reporters is when I first had the meeting about what our season was going to look like. And I'll explain to the guys, we're going to have no home games this year. And I kind of went, and I said, we're going to have to even practice at an outside facility. And I'm explaining the gym to them. I'm explaining all the things. And Tyrese, our best player, like in the middle of it, just said, coach, we don't care. I kind of looked at him and he said, coach, we just want to play. And I just kind of said, geez, if these kids are going to have a better attitude than me, and they're going to just look at this and say, we have an opportunity to play. We're not complaining about it. How could I then? And I mean this, our kids never complained about it. They just understood every game's on the road. And probably after the first, second or third week, it's just, we knew when we played, we were on the road. There was no, it was just, when's the bus leaving? When do we got to be there? So our guys handle it about as well as, I mean, honestly, they handle it better than I could have expected. And that really propelled our season and started it off the right way.
Because if our kids would have came into this, what do you mean? Every game on the road? Oh, we're going to be tired. Late nights at school. They never did it. They just said, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do it. Because um, like I told them, for the kids that played in Madison, the kids that played in Milwaukee Public School, they had it better than us because they didn't get a chance to com uh, play and compete. And uh, what we had to do, it's, it beats that alternative. Um, talk about the couple of Division One um, recruits that you have. I know Tyrese is one of them. Isn't there another get kid? Kamari's going to Green Bay. Okay. Just talking about them too a little bit and what they've meant to your program the last couple of years. Yeah, Tyrese. I mean, the interesting connection, his brother Brian played at Whitewater uh, for Pat. Uh, my senior year, Brian was a freshman, so I've known his brother for a while. Um, Tyrese, he's got an interesting story for anyone out there wondering. Uh, Tyrese has lost both parents by the time he was in eighth grade. His dad died, I believe, when he was in second grade. His mom died when he was in eighth grade. That was the first time I ever talked to him. I had the job for about a month, maybe two months. And someone at school just came up to me and said, one of your good eighth graders, I was going through a tough time. And I said, oh, okay, what's going on? I said, his mom just died. He said, oh, geez, let me talk to him. And I promise you at this point, I've never seen the kid play basketball. I did not know anything about him other than maybe I walked by him in the hall once or twice. And someone said, you need to know he lost his dad about five or six years ago. And I just went, you've got to be kidding me. I said, this kid doesn't have a parent right now. And no. So the first time that I ever talked to Tyrese, we had a pretty serious conversation about life. And uh, the kid's maturity, the kid's ability to rebound from a tough circumstance, it can't be overspoken what that kid's had to endure. And he just keeps doing the right thing. That's the thing I can just tell you about him. He just keeps saying, yep, it's been bad. I'm going to do the right thing. Yeah, this is another obstacle. I'll do the right thing. Geez, you're going to throw another curveball at me. I'll do the right thing. So for a 14-year-old to just continue to make good choices, honor roll student, not in trouble, good teammate, um, works hard, it, it's just been such an inspiration to me. I've learned so much from him. So Tyrese's story is one of those ones that uh, it's not hard to root for him. So for anyone out there, if you see Tyrese Hunter, he's about as easy kid to root for as there is. Um, he's St. Catherine's all-time leading scorer. And that is saying something when you're talking about, we've had guys that have played in the NBA. We have, we've had guys that have played at the highest level in college. Uh, he's the all-time leading scorer. Uh, he's a kid that led us to a 53 and one record the last two years. And I will note our one loss came when he was hurt in overtime. So that probably shows another indication of just how valuable he was to us. Um, and for anyone who hasn't go YouTube, his, his highlights, his ability to make plays is, is fun to watch. He is an explosive athlete. He works really hard and he's destined for a really good career. Uh, Kamari, um, I don't want to say he's ever lived in his shadow. Kamari McGee's uh, signed at Green Bay. Um, people really got to see him. He had a great state championship game. Um, he had 22 points in the second half and really just propelled us. Tyrese was hurt. Tyrese had a sprained ankle. Tyrese was cramping. Tyrese in our sectional game had been headbutted and was truly could not see out of one of his eyes. Um, so we almost used Tyrese a little bit as a decoy there, just to people were worried about him, but we kind of knew Tyrese, if we can just get anything out of him, which we did, we'll take it. Uh, Kamari, I think is the best defender in the state. I really believe that. Um, he is about as strong and sturdy and tough on ball defender as I've ever had. Um, and he really turned into a heck of a finisher and playmaker as well. He shot like 58% from the floor, like 80% from the free throw line, just really efficient and tough. And people really got to see him. And I will note, we have another kid, Jameer Barker. Um, he's got like five division two offers right now. 
really a tough uh, lefty who can make shots, ability to finish, who's considering YX schools, um, considering the division twos and his interest is really picked up because he had a great state tournament. He had two really strong games. So um, yeah, we're, we're more than three players, no doubt. But uh, I'd be lying to you if I said we, if I didn't have the luxury of having three uh, college ready players as well. Um, I'll use this last basketball question, even though I'll probably ask a pandemic question as well. But uh, what, what do you feel like your coaching future is like? And the other question I have with this is, would you ever consider a return to Division Three as a head coach if, like, maybe Semlin at Point or Pat at Whitewater, if any of those two left or anything like that? My coaching future, I can answer that one a lot easier. I, I just enjoy coaching. I enjoy being around kids. I enjoy um, working on the game of basketball. I enjoy being competitive. I enjoy the nuances of the game, whether that means watching film or figuring out drills that you enjoy. So and again, I'll use it one more time. Greatness knows no level. When I went to high school, I always thought I was just going to be a college coach. When I got into it, I'm like, I'm just going to be a college coach. This is going to be my life. And then things changed where I said, man, I, I really want to be a head coach. Uh, I really want to have the opportunity. And um, um, I obviously took a high school job. I knew I wanted to go somewhere that I felt was serious about basketball. And the past five years have been great. I've enjoyed every moment of it. Um, St. Catharines has been good to me. Uh, it's been a wonderful experience. Um, so if I stay here for another five, 10, 15 years, I'll be thankful. I'll be honored. Um, in coaching, I would say, especially in high school, we're, we're one-year contracts. We don't, we don't, we don't get seven-year extensions or anything like that. So I can tell you, I have not looked at another job. I have not applied for another job. I am thankful for the job I have. I love being a coach at St. Catharines. Um, what the future entitles. Any coach, uh, I try to be honest with this stuff. Any coach that tells you I'm going to be here forever, and then two weeks later they're they're signed another school. I say, be true to who you are. I know who I am. I think I could be a great coach at a lot of different levels and places and spots, but I think that's part of it. You have to have a belief in yourself that you're able to do a job. I, I'm not pinpointing any job. I mean, you mentioned a few specific jobs. Those jobs aren't open. So I don't look at jobs that aren't open. Um, coach Semling is a dear friend and a great man, and he might coach for another 20 years. You just don't know. So I'm not looking at any other jobs like that, um, especially ones that aren't open. And um, I'm awful grateful to be where I am and work with the kids that I do because um, they bought into the program. They've, um, they've given me a great deal of uh, respect and listening to my voice and trusting um, that I have their best interests. And uh, that's all you can really ask is that you have good kids that are going to listen and are going to try to give it their all for you. Um, on to like a pandemic question. Um, what's the biggest thing that you maybe binge watched during the last year? And what's your favorite basketball movie? Oh, okay. Binge watch. Um, binge watch. I liked, uh, I did Game of Thrones, but that's been over now for a while. Um, um, what's the one with Jason Bateman? The Ozarks I really liked. Um, I really liked Ozarks. That was, that was excellent. Um, I watched The Office if it's on. I know that's a little old, but uh, I'll admit, I'll get back into my TV show watching during the season, my, my TV show watching. Part of me, it's, it wasn't on my mind. I, I, I'm, again, with the NCAA tournament still on, I'm still kind of in basketball mode. So most of my time is spent watching and talking or thinking hoops still at the moment. But uh, 
when the summer rolls around, I'll, I'll, I'll get back into my shows a little bit. And what was the second, my favorite basketball movie? Yeah. I always throw out that, uh, have you seen the one, um, that has to do with Corey Wiseman? I don't know if I've seen that one. Um, he was a basketball player at Gettysburg who suffered the stroke. Um, and they made a movie, um, maybe like five or six it. years I, I ago. I've seen that. Pardon me. I don't think I've seen that. I mean, I, I'll go a little old school. I know it's a little cliche, but you know, Hoosiers has always been a fun one. Uh, Coach Carter, I thought was a cool movie. Uh, I won't say Teen Wolf. I don't know if that one constitutes being a basketball movie, but uh, can't uh, go wrong with Space Jam either. Space Jam. There you go. Uh, a, a little. Yeah, sure. Uh, those are some good ones. So. Any, any, any movie that's got a Bill Murray uh, cameo is good. So Space Jam had that. Um, huge fan of Bill Murray. Um, those are a couple that jumped to mind. Pardon me, I'm sure I'm missing a bunch. So someone can yell at me later for the ones I missed. Okay. I'll, I'll say that movie name. It's called 1001. 1001. All right. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, that's, uh, like I said, after the NCAA tournament, I'll, I'll, I'll have a shift into more movies and shows and stuff again. So I'm. I've kind of been out of that mode here for a few months. All right. Okay. Thanks everybody for listening, Nick. Thanks for joining me and um, go angels. D shot. Really appreciate it a bunch. You're doing a great job. Thanks. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Podcasts on D-Shot. Feel free to give any of the other episodes a listen, as a lot of them have some great, exciting content, as well as some great interviews. Don't forget to give my Facebook page a like, Daniel Shotler Journalist, as well as give me a follow on Twitter or Instagram at dshot1992. Don't forget to subscribe if you're on Google Podcasts or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find this. And hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening and have a good day.